You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. So we're going to continue on in John today, John chapter 17. If you're going to open up your Bible, you can do that. It'll be on the screen as well. I'm glad you're all here today. So this is uh, kind of the last night of Jesus's freedom, if you will. The, it, it, I look back at what we've been doing, and we've been talking for weeks now about Jesus' last night of freedom. Honestly, it started with, I think, chapter 13 or so, uh, the, the Last Supper and all that. And this is all one conversation he's having. So it's kind of like John spent the first 12 verses talking about all of Jesus' ministry in the last nine or whatever it is on the last three days of his life. So uh, we're kind of wrapping up here, coming to a conclusion. We'll be finishing up in a, in a couple of weeks. We're going to look at all of chapter 17 this week. Uh, it's a, just a one long prayer. Jesus prays for, for his disciples and his people, so we're going to look at that. Um, in, in essence, it's sort of like his, his last prayer for anybody other than himself and the, the interactions on the cross and all that. So it made me think of like his, his last request he's almost putting in. And, and it made me then, hey, how do people do this? How do they think about what's going to happen in their as um, they know things are coming to a close. So I looked up some famous last requests and thought I'd share some with you because it's kind of interesting. Uh, I have some pictures here. Thomas Jefferson is the first one I want to talk about. Thomas Jefferson, pretty simple stuff, right? In his will, one of the things he did was he bequeathed his gold-handled gold animal horn walking stick to James Madison because they were friends for so long. James Madison wrote most of the Constitution. Thomas Jefferson was involved in the Declaration and the Constitution, all that. So they were friends for a long time in life. He bequeathed it to him. Nice, you know, nice little thing he gave him. Kind of typical thing you would see in a will. Another one of our founding father people, Ben Franklin. Um, I, I found a picture, but it was too late. I had already sent the PowerPoint in. He had this, I don't even know what to call it. It was an awesome looking thing. It was about this big. It was a picture of the King of France surrounded by a bunch of diamonds. It must have cost a fortune. Uh, ben Franklin was an ambassador to France for part of his career, so that's probably where that came from. This is what he wrote in his will about that thing, kind of a different way people do stuff in their will. He, he said, the king of France's picture sent with 408 diamonds I give to my daughter, Sarah Beche, requesting, however, that she would not form any of these diamonds into ornaments either for herself or her daughters, and thereby, thereby introduce or countenance the expensive, vain, and useless fashion of wearing jewels in this country. That he had an issue, I guess, and he was making a social commentary with his will. So that's a different thing that people do, right? They put strings on stuff and make you deal with it. All right, next picture. How many people in church want to admit they know who that is? There we go, Tupac Shakur. Someone knew, very good. Tupac was a rapper back in the 90s, and he was killed. He was, you know, in the East Coast, West Coast battle. Someone shot him and killed him. So, you know, that culture had some particular habits that they would uh, inhale, if you know what I'm saying. Um, one, Tupac's request in his will was that his, he be cremated and that his friends smoke his ashes. They did it. What? Weird, right? What's kind of, so I, I saw, I, that's crazy, right? What's going on? Next picture. I will give anybody who knows that as a dollar after service. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know either. I had to look it up. Right? That's Tchaikovsky, the famous composer. Okay. Oh, yeah, you didn't know. Come on. All right. Oh, all right. So Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky died in 1893. He donated his body to science. That happens, right? People do that stuff. With one exception. He wanted his skull 
to be used in live performances of Hamlet as Yorick's skull, right? It was. They used his skull. As recently as 2008, Tchaikovsky's skull was used in a live production of Hamlet. Weird stuff. Last one, last picture. Well, oh, yeah, there's Yorick's skull. There we go. Next picture, there we go. Anybody know who that is? Jack Benny, all right, somebody knew. Jack Benny was from an older generation, not saying anything. Uh, he would be similar to uh, like Jimmy Fallon in our day, kind of a likable guy, comedian, hosted some variety shows, played, I think he played the violin, just multi-talented, fun guy, right? Very, very well loved. In his will, he requested that his wife receive a fresh rose every day for the rest of her life. Uh, right? I ended it with a nice one, right, it was a good one. It happened for the next nine years as she lived. She got a fresh rose every day. So that's kind of neat, right? So those are some famous people, some things that happened in, in, uh, in history, last requests. So what I want to look at is essentially what's Jesus' last request? Because this is the last time he prayed to his father for his people. After this, we, they leave after this, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays there too, right? So he has more or less prayers. On the cross, he says some stuff. Clearly, some of them are prayers. So we're not talking about his last words, but kind of like the last thing he left for us. And, and I, I think it's an appropriate thought. Let's talk about what he said there. So John 17, we're going to hold a chapter. Now, in some churches, there's a tradition that you stand while we read the scripture. So I want everybody to stand while I read all of John 17. Yeah, of course not, right? I am going to read the whole thing in bits and pieces. Just, I, I was going to pick out some stuff, but it, he's, it's just one long sentence, he says, basically. So I want to, want to share it with you, break it up in chunks. We're going to start off. The first thing Jesus does in this prayer is he kind of makes a declaration to God that, hey, our mission is accomplished, right? So I want to read John 1 through 5, so you can hear Jesus just say, this is, I'm done, let's get going here. And John 1, John 17, verse 1, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him, all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus, unlike our friend John, got right to the point. He stated right up front what had happened. Lord, I came to glorify you. It's happened. All these people that you told me to talk to, we've done it. Let's get this going. He wanted to go back and be with the Father. And, uh, you know, it's like, I don't blame him, right? It's, it, he, imagine what he had to go through. He went through being in glory with the Lord, coming, being a baby, all the stuff kids have to go through, and then he knows what's coming next. It's time to get back home, right? And he's saying, God, I did it. Let's go, right? And I don't want to miss a particular gem in the middle of that. that, that honestly, that idea of glorifying God is what this whole chapter is about. That's really what the whole Bible is about, right? Um, but Jesus leaves this little gem in the middle of that that I don't want us to, to jump by in verse 3. He says in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the essence of the gospel, knowing Jesus, right? That's what eternal life is, and that's what I, I, I don't know you all, obviously, and we're going to talk about knowing in a minute, but I assume that since you're here today, you have some interest in eternal life, right? And as you struggle through this life, the idea of going to be a glory of Jesus is really attractive. And this is what it's about, is about knowing Jesus, right? Um, I, Steve last week talked about the, the idea of knowing. I, I really like that. So I'm going to share it again, just to, if you weren't here. 
he talked about the difference between knowing who somebody is and knowing them, right? Like, I know who Thomas Jefferson is, but he's dead and I don't know him, right? But more practically, I know who some of you are, but I don't know you that well. Some of you know who I am, but you don't know me, right? But I know my family. I know my friends. I know them. That's, that's what it means to know Jesus in this way, is to know him as a person. And that's what eternal life is. And, and he's going to share. He's going to talk about it. He kind of, he does disguise a little bit. He talks about in his prayers what it means to know him. And, and we can know that from, from reading this, that knowing him is an intimate connection, not just knowing about him. And when that happens to you, when you know him that way, that is eternal life and that's salvation. So I, that's an important thing. I didn't want to skip by. That phrase right there, that sentence, it means the world. And he, he put it in the middle of glorifying God because it glorifies God for us to have eternal life. Okay? So it, Jesus says to, to God, listen, I've done what you told me to do. Let's get this rolling. All right? And then he's, he stops for a minute and he prays for people. He prays for the disciples, for his current disciples, and he prays for us. And that's an awesome thought. We'll get to that in a minute. So we're going to start by the prayer he had for his current disciples. This is John uh, 17, 6, 6 through 19. It's going to take a while to read it. I apologize. And I was going to just try to pick some stuff out. But if we don't know what he said, we can't think about it. So I'm just going to read it, and then we'll talk. All right? We'll, we'll, we'll think about it. So read with me in your Bible. Read up there. Um, I'm just going to kind of let, let this go, because Jesus shares a lot in, in a quick time. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received, from, received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, not praying for the world, but I am praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's what Jesus said for the people that surrounded him, his disciples. An important piece of this I want us to remember is that is for the people with him right then. That is not for us. We're coming up. Okay? An important piece of understanding the Bible is to put things in context. Now, Jesus said that about Peter, James, John, Andrew, all those guys, and probably the other people that were following him at the time. I don't know if this is restricted just to the apostles, but the people around him. That doesn't mean it doesn't impact us or apply to us, but we have to be careful when we read the Bible. If Jesus is talking about this, that's what he's talking about. right? We want to, and in this particular application, it's not that big of a deal because the things that he says about his disciples do apply to us pretty clearly. But I want us to just, as a typical Bible interpretation thing, know that when Jesus is talking in context, you need to put it in that context. Otherwise, you can make some bad assumptions. Okay? I don't think it matters so much here, but I just wanted to put that out there. that He's talking about those folks with him right there. 
clearly because he changes tone in a minute, right? So what's he saying about them, right? The first thing I want to point out is here's where he gives some evidence of knowing, what knowing means, okay? He talks about in verses 6 and 8 that he gave them his father's words, that they received them as from the father, and he believed that the father sent him, and they kept those words. That's what it means to know Jesus, is to believe he came from the father, take his words as from the father, and live that way. That's what Jesus is saying. Lord, this is how I know they're, they're yours. They did that. They trusted you. They trusted me. They live like I said. That's what knowing Jesus means. It's not just a, a head thing, right? These, these words, and think about the words that Jesus said. It wasn't just, hey, you know, I'm God. It was things like, repent. Change the way you're living. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me daily, right? They were hard. This is a hard teaching. Who can hear it? That's what people said when they heard what he said, right? So there were things that Jesus said that pushed these guys. They had to, to change their, their lives completely. I was just, I was reading something else. Or it was a song I was listening to. Uh, it, it's called Burn the Boats. And I'm wondering, why are they making that kind of thing? And what it comes from, that comes from, is during the, uh, the Trojan War, right? The, the Iliad and Homer and all that stuff. Totally out of blue, but it's, it's what the disciples had to do as well. When they landed the ships there at Troy, they burned the boats because they weren't going back. They were going to take Troy. And that's what Jesus calls us to do is burn the boats because we're not going back. And that's what he called his disciples to do. And that's what they did. And that's how he knew who they were, right? That's, he put it right in his prayer to God. I know these are yours because they're following you, right? And that's why we talk here in a River about surrendering our lives to Jesus. It's not just a, yeah, I know he's there. It's knowing him and following him, right? That's what changes our lives. So these are Jesus' disciples, and that's, he knew that, right? So that, that's the evidence he gives to even tell the Father, God, I know they're yours. I can see. Look what they're doing. They're living for you, right? So what did he pray for them? Several things along the way he prayed. Remember, in all of this, I'm understanding from what he started off with, the purpose of this is to glorify God, to bring glory to his name, and what God's doing in these people's lives and what he's going to do, right? And you can see that as he talks, and I'll, I'll try to make some connections for you here. So one thing that stands out to me in, in this is that he could see that these folks were going to be in the world, and they were going to struggle and face a lot of oppression and attacks and things like that. And his request of the Father was to keep them. That's the word that's used here, is to keep them. Um, that word used in the context it is, is the idea of preserving, of uh, keeping safe in a tough situation. Uh, similar to the way that it would be talked about salt was used to preserve food, to keep it the way it was supposed to be, right? To not let it be uh, tainted, harmed, broken down. For food, it would be unedible, right? That kind of thing. To keep it for the purpose it was made. That, that's the idea there. Um, and he later asked the father to not take them out of the world, to not just remove them from it, but to keep them in that. Right? To keep them from the evil one, that kind of thing. So that, that idea is preserving, keeping whole, uh, conservation, that kind of thing. In other places, he uses a different word that's translated as keep, not here in this passage, but in other places in the, the New Testament. Uh, both Jesus and, and the apostles use it. And that's a more active defense. It's a more military term. Right? And this is not that one. This is a preservative term. Right? We don't get into grammar very much here, but I think it's an important idea to, keep, to notice. With Jesus, it's his last request. It must be meaningful. Right? His last thing, God, he's saying to God for us, keep them, preserve them, to the disciples. Right? So instead of an active military defense, he just wants them to not be messed up. 
right? That, that's the idea. And that may inform some of the ways we think about the way we ask God to protect us as well, right? The, the way we view, I mean, he tells them, he, he asks God, keep them, from, keep them from the evil one, is how he phrases it. Obviously talking about Satan and his, his attacks. Uh, so when we think about that, the, the concept Jesus is hoping is that we just don't get messed up, right? That, that's the idea. Keep us safe. Keep us whole. Keep us in a, in a state that God intended us to be so we can glorify him. That's the idea. And there's a similar discussion to this in Paul's uh, un unraveling of the full armor of God in Ephesians. And lots of times when we study that, we look at all the pieces and try to connect the dots as to what they mean. It's, it's a good study, right? Um, but Paul starts that off, and I want to read it to you here. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it to you, with, with a statement of purpose. This is why we should put on the armor of God. Paul, Paul says in Ephesians 6, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. The purpose there is not that we have some great big giant attack that we're carrying out, but that we just stand firm and do what we're supposed to do. Okay, so that's what Jesus is asking God to do for us, is to help us stand firm. To help us to withstand things and be untainted and able to do what we're supposed to do. Right? So as you consider this stuff happening in your life, as I said, this is for the disciples, but that certainly happens to us too. Right? We're living in the world. We're separated. You know, the, how do you phrase it here? Uh, the world hated them because they are not of the world. Right? That pretty clearly we, we faced it. We've talked about that the last few weeks even. Right? Um, and all that, the purpose is that you stand firm. Stand up. Be God's person and continue doing what you need to do. So that's what Jesus is asking the Father for us. The purpose for that, right, as you can see here in his, in his prayer, is that we may be one, that, the, that his disciples may be one, as the Father and Jesus are one. The level of intimacy they have, think about that for a second. They're the same person, right? They're, they're, the Father and the Son are part of the same being in the Trinity, right? That level of intimacy, that's what he wants for his disciples, and later he's going to say the same thing for us, his later followers, right? That's an important thing for Jesus, that unity. The concept that uh, we be together, because guys, think about I me, mean, Ben Franklin said it, I did, it occurred to me, we will either hang together or we will hang separately. That's what he said during the revolution. If we don't stick together, they're going to kill us all, right? If we don't stick together, we're not going to lose the battle because Jesus already won, but man, life is a lot harder if we don't stick together. Right? That's the pur purpose of being here today is so that we can stick together. Right? So that, that's what Jesus is calling to. Back, in fact, back in John 13, which seems way back when, but it's really the beginning of that night when he's talking to them. Somewhere in that conversation at dinner, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That unity is part of people knowing who God is. And that's what Jesus' purpose was on earth, and that's his purpose for us. And that brings glory to God, right? So he wants them to be kept pure, kept unharmed, kept able to do what he called them to do. And one of the things he called them to do was be one, be unified, so that people know you're God's person and that you can give glory to him, right? There's, there's very much a, a purpose for his prayer. The things that he wants, he's asking for are not just random stuff. They're things that, that give glory to God. He also prays that they will have joy in the midst of the trials he knows coming, right? He knows they're coming. And it, it just, it, 
made me laugh at myself. I, I, I love to laugh at other people, but you gotta laugh at yourself sometimes, right? Um, it let me know for sure that God is not just a father, but he's a mother too, right? I'm, I'm sure I just like shook up the gender world. I don't know, I don't care. Um, this is why I was saying that. Jesus himself talked about him being a mother hen gathering Jerusalem under his wings, right? I have no problem saying this because God made moms as well as dads, okay? And we're all made in his image. So when we look at things as father-like or mother-like, it's our own divisions, right? We all should have some certain characteristics. The reason I say this is Jesus is praying for his people that they'll be happy, right? I know, and my kids are here, so I apologize. When I pray for them, I pray things like, I hope they don't screw up. I hope they can be functional people, right? I hope they, they, they get their act together and can do what they need to do and be people that bring other people, you know, satisfaction, joy, able to do things in life, right? My wife, when she prays, I'm sure, we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I, I won't speak for her, you can ask her later. She prays all those things too, but she also wants them to be happy. And I don't think about that, I'm <laughs> sorry. Maybe I'm just the only dad in the room that doesn't do that, the only dude in the room that doesn't do that, I don't know. But it, it, it just doesn't occur to me like it should. And I apologize, kids, right? But, you know, that's a mom thing, isn't it? You know, one, one, you know, I ask, you know, what are you doing? How's life going? How's the car? Is the house broken down? What you, what's going on, guys? Oh, are you happy? What are you doing? Oh, I don't even care. Right? I don't think about that. That's awful on me. That's awful on me, and I know it, right? But it, it's, I think it's reality for a lot of folks, okay? So God's not like that. He cares that we have joy. Now, there's a distinction, right? Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness kind of depends on what happens, Right? You can get mad, happy, sad because of circumstances and all that. James talks about having joy in all circumstances. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here too. To be able to look at life being hard and know that God's working and that you can take joy in the fact that God's working in your life. Okay? So it's not quite the same thing as praying for him to be happy. It just kind of made me laugh at myself and I thought I'd share that a little bit. But he wants them to know that he, he wants God to make sure that in the middle of these trials that are coming, they can experience joy. And, and know that Jesus is with them, God is with them, and that it's all going to work out somehow in the end. And that's, nobody wants to hear that explanation. It's not a good thing to say when people are going through trials. Oh, it's all going to work out. God's got a plan. That can be not a good thing to say to folks in the middle of something bad going on because it just ruffles feathers a little bit. We all know it's true, but it's hard to hear when things are tough, right? So careful with that one. But we do know it in our hearts. We know that that is the way we have joy. If you don't know that, you can't have joy. You can't have joy if you don't know God's in control. You're you're silly to have joy if things are breaking down apart from you and life is bad and you don't know or care about God, how can you have joy that way? It's why Paul calls it the peace that passes understanding because it only comes from him. But Jesus was concerned for that for his, for his disciples. And the last thing as he closes down his prayer for his current disciples is um, he asks God to sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means to separate them from something. So he talks clearly about how they're not in the world. He wants them to separate them. He wants God to make sure they're separate from the world, but through the truth of God's word, right? He, he wants to sanctify them in the truth, and we know that to be God's word. He wants to change them. He wants God to make sure they change, to make them different, to keep them clean, right? To, to make them not like the rest of the world. That, that's what he's asking God to help them do in their lives. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, that's what I'm going to do here in a, in a few hours. I'm going to go get uh, sanctify very clearly separated from the world um, and, it, and I'm doing it so that it's possible for them I'm doing it I'm going to go go through what I'm going to go through God knows Jesus knows he's not saying it out loud but he, we know what he's going to go through so that his disciples can live this way and so Jesus is setting an example he's doing the work for us 
And he's just asking God, make sure that takes root in their lives and their hearts are changed and they get different from the world. They don't stay that way. Again, why do that? So that people know that those are God's people. God's people can tell them about God and God can be glorified. There's a big purpose overall in all of this stuff. It's not just random events. So those are the things he prayed for his current disciples. So let's transition into where he prays for his future followers, the people coming after him. That's in verses 20 through the end of the chapter, so I'll read those and we'll talk about that. Okay, Starting in verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's how we know it's not them and it's us. Right? That's how we've come to know Jesus is through the word that the disciples share. So I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay? So this is like, this is like time machine stuff. He's looking down his, not history, he's looking down the future. That bugs me out a little bit, right? And this isn't like Hank Pym particles, Avenger time travel, or for a different generation, the DeLorean 1.21 gigawatts travel stuff, right? Or for maybe the Jack Many fans, H.G. Wells. I don't know, maybe the, that time machine thing. I don't know where you're at. Anyways, none of that, right? It's, it's Jesus knowing what's going to happen and talking about it. And man, God, he's talking about you if you're a follower. He's talking about me. He's talking about us right here today. That is mind-blowing, that Jesus, one, could do that, and two, he knows in a few hours he can be hanging on a cross. And he's thinking about us in this way. That is amazing to me, that he has that <clears throat> foresight and care to be able to think about us this way to pray for us right before he's going to go die. Okay? So again, there's a couple of very distinct things here that he says that are very clearly pointing to a purpose. All right? First thing he starts off with is he wants unity in us as well, not just the guys that were there. Now, they had perhaps a little bit of an advantage in that because they were with Jesus. They all, when you have that common bond, you stick together. I, those of you who have been in the military, particularly those of you who have seen combat action, that's so true, right? It, it, you may not have known that guy when you got to basic training or your unit or whatever. People start shooting at you. They're your brother real quick, right? And you're looking out for them. So that kind of thing is what the disciples went through, that kind of trial by fire stuff. They were with Jesus. That unity should have been a little bit easier. You can see as you watch through the book of Acts, people got a little splintered, right? For us, a little different. We're all looking back 2,000 years now seeing all this, and that unity is not going to come so easily. But it's just as important to Jesus. It seems even stronger to me here that he prays more strong language than he did for the disciples that he wants us to be unified, right? And again, it's so that people may know we are his disciples. He wants us to be together so that we can testify to who he is to the world. And that brings God glory, right? That's the idea. Um, he's setting a high bar here, right? This, this unity thing is tough. I, I, I think, I, I don't think, I know. As we look throughout the history of followers of Christ, we have not done a good job at that, both on a personal level and on a church universal level. There's a whole lot of people arguing about a whole lot of little things that probably shouldn't matter, right? 
So check your heart on that one. I can't speak to you. I'm not going to list a whole bunch of things that people have argued out throughout history. You can certainly do whatever research you want. But check your heart. Next time you run into someone who seems to be a Christian, maybe just treat them like a brother in Christ and move on instead of trying to figure out all the little things you disagree about. That, that might be a start to that. Okay? Um, it, it's this, it, it was convicting to me to see how important it was to Jesus and to know that we've done a crappy job at that. We've really, we've really dropped the ball on that one as a, as a bunch of followers throughout history. So, you know, take a look at your own heart. See where you're at. I don't know where that is. Um, but, you know, make it, a, make it a point to love his people. Love each other as he loved us. I think that's an important thing he wants us to know. The second thing he prays for, and this is, this is just so cool to me. He wants us to see the glory. He wants us, <laughs> he wants us to be with him, right? He wants to see, he wants us to see the love God has for him. He wants to, he wants to share his ice cream with us, right? Whatever your thing is, the fun he's going to have, the joy he's going to have, he wants to share it. He wants us to be there with him. That's awesome. That's just awesome to me. I'm, I don't know why I'm so emotional, but that's just really cool. He cares so much about us. He wants, wants us to be with him. And, uh, you know, all of that, too, when he says it here, he says they want, he wants them, they may be where I am, to see my glory you've given me because you've loved me from the foundation of the world. Although the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know you. He wants us to have that so that I, can, I have made it known to them and will continue to make it known and the love that you have loved me, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He wants us to be connected so that that can continue to be made known, that love that God has for people, right? He wants God to be glorified. Even, now think about this. Many of you probably went on vacation in the last few weeks, right? You're on the beach, in the mountains, whatever thing it is you like to do. You probably weren't thinking a whole lot about other people at the time. You were probably just chilling and having a good time. Jesus gone to the ultimate vacation, right? The ultimate paradise. It's the best place to be. He's thinking about us, and he wants us to be with him. How many of you, when you went on a vacation, said, hey, I wish so-and-so was here with us? Maybe you did. Maybe a lost loved one or someone that couldn't make it. How many said, oh, I wish Pastor Dan was here with us? Not a soul, I assure you. Nobody said that, right? Nobody. Okay? So the, that is awesome that he's thinking about us in a way that he wants us to be with him in his paradise so that we can see how much God loves him and so that that can be shared with other people. That's huge, guys. It's all about letting people know God's glory. It's all good for us. I'd be happy to experience that, and that's great, but there's a purpose to it. It's not just for us. It's for him, okay? Again, the, the concept of being able to uh, share that with us so that we can share with him is really or share with others, is really the, the theme of all of this for Jesus. He wants people, he came so that people would know God, right? That's why he came. So it's, it's the biggest thing for him. Um, the fact that, you know, you, you look at this, that God, in, in the creator of the universe, and things went south and broke down because people sinned, right? He, in that, was willing to forgive us, send his son to die for us, make that ultimate sacrifice, and then change us so we could be with him. I, I can't think of much more glorious than that. That, that is such a huge... None of us would behave that way. We don't. Our nature is not to. And he's doing that for that, that's, that glory is beyond speaking. I'm, I, I don't have any words for it, right? And that's what he's trying to share with us, okay? 
But you know what? That's not the end of it. He snuck a little one in there on us. He, he, he laid something on us too. Jesus did. At the end here, right at, right at the last, last piece of this, he says, um, where is it? I made known to them, this is verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them. Right? Jesus ain't here, guys. That continue to make it known, that's on us. We're the ones that are going to do that for him. Right? Over the past few weeks, we've seen very clearly the Holy Spirit plays an enormous role in people having their hearts changed to come to Jesus. It can't happen without the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. Okay? But people need to hear about that. That very rarely, I will not say never because God does what he wants to do, but very rarely does it happen without somebody talking to somebody. Occasionally people will pick up a Bible on their own and never have heard anybody talk about it. That's, you know, such an exception that I would not even want to use it as an example, but it does happen, right? The overwhelmingly typical way for people to have their hearts changed to follow Jesus is because someone told him or her about it, right? Um, the, the people that have followed Christ throughout history, they have an obligation. In fact, it's a joy. It's an honor to be able to be his ambassador, right? To share that with people. And if you don't do that, I'm using the generic you, I'm not picking anybody, I don't know whether you guys do this or not. I know you should, right? But the, the overall, if, you do, if we don't do this, if we don't do this, I'll put it on me too. It's a problem, right? In fact, Paul in Romans 10 very clearly stated how this works. He said in Romans 10, again, it's not on the screen, I'll just read it to you. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will the people who don't know Jesus have any thought to call on him for salvation? Think about him, right? How will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And now how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the way that people find out about Jesus. And it's not by us telling them alone. It's by the Spirit moving in their lives and changing them. In fact, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. When we share that, we shouldn't expect everybody to hop up and down and say, yeah, I want to do that. Right? It's a weird thing to the world. Sean talks all the time. We're weird, right? We don't need to be any weirder than we are. We're, we're odd to the world. We're not part of the world, right? And if we don't take that step to say why we're different, how will they ever hear? That's on us. Jesus said, I'm going to continue to reveal that, right? I'm going to continue to reveal this love that God has for me to the rest of the world. The only way that can happen is if we reveal it. Again, God can do whatever he wants. He has ways to do things that we've never thought of. But his very clear plan is that we will share that with him, with people. Okay, so in this prayer, Jesus has called us out, right? He's put the hook on us to, to do something. He's, he's asking for all these awesome things for us that we can know his love, that we can be in his glory. Our part of that is to tell people, right? And it's not, a, it's not a give and take bargain. It's just what we need to do. It's what we need to do because he did that for us, right? So... He prayed for us some really good stuff. He committed us to, to do this, to share this with other people. And what he committed us to do was to make known his name so that the love he shared with Jesus can be known, right? That's what he committed us to do, to make God's name known so that the love that God shared with Jesus would be known. 
I think in this prayer, he laid out the framework for us to make the Father's love known. Love known. Okay? He told us that people who follow Jesus will keep his word. They will be separated from the world by God's truth. And that will be unified in love with his people. Right? Those are the things that mark us as followers of Christ. If your life lives that way, your words can speak that way. Right? If your life doesn't live that way, it's hard to speak those words and be heard. Okay? So that, that's what he's calling us to. This prayer overall has a lot of awesome things. He's praying, God, keep us clean from the world. God, help us to know the truth. God, help us to be one and love. God, let them experience the intimacy of love that you and I have. That alone, guys, is mind-blowing, right? That we could even have a shot of being connected to each other the way that God is connected, the Father's connected to the Son. That's like, that blows my mind to think about that. But that, that's the bar he's laying out there that's possible that we can have, Right? He prayed for us a ton of great things. His ask on us was to follow him and to share, right? That's a whole lot easier than dying on a cross. And that's a whole lot easier than thinking up this whole scheme and doing all that. All we have to do is follow. Following is a lot easier than figuring stuff out, right? So that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Lord, as our worship team comes up now to sing one last song, our hearts, hopefully, been moved to be more like you today. Father, help us to hear Jesus' prayer, to appreciate the love he had for us, to be overwhelmed by how much he, uh, he gave for us, and to be willing to lay down our lives for him, Lord. He asked us to pick up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves. Lord, help us to do that in a way that um, honors you, glorifies you, not begrudgingly, but with joy, knowing that you're plan is better than ours and that you know way more than we do and we should just trust you in that and father i pray for those of us who are thinking about people who we can share with hopefully this message has put some people's names in people's hearts and i pray for those folks lord i pray that the people in these chairs would put a little put their neck out a little bit and share just a little bit be or just even live better around those folks and be able to to show them who god is Lord, I just pray that your word would not go out void, but come back with fruit. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.